as a company, we went from 100 employees to 1,000 employees in six years. You really have to be a different company to run a 1,000-person company versus a 100-person company. Welcome to Personal Injury Mastermind. Each week, we examine how the best in the legal industry go from good to go. I'm Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io, the legal marketing company the best firms hire when they want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies can't deliver. Here at PIM, we don't just talk about it, we are about it. If you're ready to dominate the personal injury arena and champion your firm, join me at PIMCon, the first ever official PIM conference. Conquer marketing, network with titans, Celebrate excellence and go for the gold this September in Scottsdale at the five-star Phoenician Resort. Secure your place among the elite. Reserve your all-access pass into the winner's circle at PimCon.org, where we take you from good to go. All right, let's get on with the show. If you want to rapidly grow your personal injury firm to nine figures, buckle up. From digital marketing to lead gen to communication, this individual strategy helps scale Scorpion from $20 million to over $150 million and over 1,000 employees in under seven years. Meet the man whose marketing wisdom helped fuel this insane growth, Corey Quinn. We were in attorneys, home services, franchise, medical, and healthcare systems, which is a lot of verticals. However, we didn't get there sort of concurrently. It was actually sequential. So when Corey shares his best strategies on budgeting, hiring, and specialization, you gotta take notes. Here's Corey Quinn, former CMO at Scorpion, and now the vertical go-to-market strategist. I was actually recruited to interview at Scorpion, who is a business that is on the outskirts of Los Angeles. The area is called Santa Clarita. You know, LA is known for horrible traffic. And when the recruiter said, I got this great opportunity, it's a chief marketing officer role, you know, it's in Santa Clarita. And I said, okay, well, it's in Santa Clarita and I don't I don't see myself driving out to Magic Mountain every day. And I actually turned down the invitation to interview two times. The recruiter was insistent on me taking the interview. I did take the interview, obviously. Obviously, the interview went great. And I learned a lot about this really unique, interesting company that had sort of this lightning in a bottle that they had built. And they were looking to really kind of take what they learned and the business they built and really expanded out much more broadly than they, than they had at that point. When you started, did you see a vision for nine figures out of the gate? Or did it take some time to obtain that clarity? Did it come around? And, or was it just immediate like, hey, my experience, I see it? Scorpions is a founder-led agency. And the founder, Rustin Kretz, he has such a high level of ambition. You know, he probably has an 11 figure vision. This is just a stepping stone to get there. And so I joined his organization and he was the one who had this massive vision. And what's interesting, I think, is that at that point, the business was really grown based on the local kids from his high school, his friends, his childhood friends. And so they kind of grew people through the, you know, through the organization. We were sort of, we got our experience elsewhere. We brought it in where most of the company was sort of uh, homegrown. And so the reason why that made sense for the company was that he was looking to do something different to get to that next level. He wanted to bring some more folks in who had different different backgrounds to, to help get there. I, I want to dig into this specifically because you have your team kind of nurturing within and you elevate people to different positions. And at some point, 
you have to create executive leadership and the energy and time that it takes to develop people may not be as needed. So, so talk to me about the culture dynamics. Hey, you're the outsider coming in and how you get bought in and just that whole interaction of, of sure. bringing in from the outside. Sure. Well, I think at any company, but certainly at Scorpion, culture is very, very important. Again, a lot of these people who work there were best friends of the founder over the years. They were related to him in some respects. So these people had many years of spending a lot of quality time going through the trenches of building a business from the ground up. And you know, by the time I'd been there, it was by the time I arrived, it was already a $20 million business. So they'd been through a lot. They've really achieved a lot. And the culture at Scorpion at the time was uh, work hard and play hard. There were, you know, kegs in the office. There were uh, a lot of opportunities to lean in and celebrate. There was this thing called Docs, which is on a Tuesday night. The whole crew goes to the, the bar and does karaoke and so on and so forth. So as an outsider who's that, that's not my necessarily the thing that I would typically do. However, in order to really become a part of the crew and to really build their trust at a gut level, I had to join them where they were. And so what that meant is I would celebrate, I would do shots, I would drink beers, I would go out and have a good time because that was the culture that I was, um, I was entering into. I won't argue, it was a lot of fun and we had a great time uh, doing that. However, what I've seen over the years at, at Scorpion, again, uh, that experience was one where the culture was very, very central to the uh, the brand and working there. If that wasn't for you, if you weren't uh, made for that type of energy, then you probably weren't going to make it very long there. And that through that experience, I learned so, so clearly how important screening for culture is as part of the hiring process, because we all know as business owners, the expense and time and effort and money is it goes into bringing someone into the organization only to find out that they're not the right fit, regardless of their their uh, you know, their skill level. If they're just not the right fit, they're not going to you know work out. So that's that's a big lesson from that. So you know, budget allocation it's not talked about. It's not super sexy, right? And you hear different trains of thought. Like some individuals, they budget for the whole year. At the end of the year, right? They're playing the tax liability game and. Another positioning may be, oh, you need to put X percent in to grow a nine-figure business. What was your thought? And obviously, you had to control budget from a marketing and biz dev side. Like, like what went into that? So because our focus was growth uh, for growth's sake, just go, go and grow and grow. That meant that we would spend a lot of money on on the marketing side of the business and invested very, very heavily. For me, as the, the head of the marketing department, having a, a juicy big budget with a CEO who would just say yes to most things was a lot of fun and it was it was a lot of flexibility. But I think the reason why, why we got there was that you know, the agency business is, a, is effectively a retention business. Ultimately, you sell them and you retain them. And as you retain them, you get a monthly annuity. And what Scorpion had uh, been, been able to be very successful in is retaining clients for the long run. And so what that meant is, you know, round numbers, let's say a client pays Scorpion $10,000 a month. If they keep them for 12 months, it's 120K, you know, 24 months, 240K, so on and so forth. Well, most of the competitors at Scorpion who are competing against Scorpion didn't have, at that time, didn't have the same level of 
retention. And so if we were able to keep uh, a client for 24 or 36 months, on average, relative to our competition who loses them at 12, we have a much larger, what we call lifetime value, the total value of a client on average. And that ability for us to take money from the future revenue that this client that we're going to close in the future and spend it now allowed us to be much more aggressive in our marketing. So when I talk about you know marketing and budgets, the first place to focus your business, especially if you have a recurring business, a re recurring revenue business is how do I build a company that keeps clients coming back month after month? Once you've solved that, marketing becomes a lot more interesting. How would you flip that, say, for the personal injury law firms listening? Would you, would you, would you think of it like a referral pr perspective? Like, how would you put that same uh, thought process to that? The personal injury attorneys who are thriving and who are doing the, the best and growing and, and, and winning big cases have, quote unquote, overinvested in the marketing machine, like figuring out how to drive a consistent volume of high quality cases because they don't stick around necessarily. And so that, to me, it, it, you know, given that dynamic, you you really have to figure out how to how to master marketing from a from a budget percentage perspective. On average, and I've seen you put out data, and I've, I've researched this that attorneys who want to grow aggressively will spend between ten to twenty percent of their gross revenue on marketing, like sales and marketing. People, you know, attorneys who want to sort of grow at an average rate, five to 10% a year are going to spend between five and 10% of their annual revenue. If they, and if they're not that interested in growing, they'll spend less than 5%. I think those are dead on. And I think the disproportionate on the front end lends itself to, you know, more growth, you know, and it also allows you to become better as a firm to maximize case value through volume. You know, one of the things I think you're an expert on is is this strategy on the client journey? You have a, an interesting perspective on specialization within verticals. In fact, you have a book coming out called Anyone, Not Everyone yeah. on how to escape founder-led sales. You know, what is deep specialization? How does it relate to clients for a firm and, you know, and, and how they think about it? Sure. Well, regardless of the business type, when you serve, especially in a service business, such as attorneys, personal injury attorneys, when you serve too many different types of clients, if you work too many different types of cases, especially as you're coming up as a new as a new firm, you introduce a lot of sort of chaos into the business because you're you're sort of doing a lot of things, uh, trying to cover a lot of ground with limited resources, and you end up doing things you know okay, and you're really never in a position to build up systems and processes, and so. What I found to sort of resolve that challenging issue that that a lot of attorneys find themselves in is through niching down and specializing. And honestly, that's not really you know a surprise. But what what you get as a result of taking a specific, let's say, sub niche within personal injury, you know, trucking accidents, whatever whatever that is for for you, the thing that there's three sort of elements that go into success, and I call it the the deep specialization strategy and number one is having focus and focus is saying yes to one thing and at the same time saying no to a lot of other things so being really intentional about what you want to focus in on when it comes to who you're serving number two is having a strategy which is a massive action plan built to achieve a big goal so you have to you know, know what you're trying to go after and and put a lot of energy into focusing this uh, your effort and resources into achieving a specific goal and then the third one is care, which is all about 
finding an audience that you want to serve that you actually care about because we live in a very competitive market today where people are searching for niches left and right they're they're throwing money here throwing money there and what becomes signal in the market is when an attorney really shows that they've that they care about this audience they may have a personal connection they may have a familial connection to this audience they may have other types of connections but there's a level of care that allows them to break through the noise the marketing noise and communicate to that audience much more authentically in a way that stands out much better than not caring. Yeah, and and I think you get the the information through the consumers and to to refine your messaging and positioning and all the benefits that goes with it. I think people have these like um, binary type. Well, I'm going to go after everyone, or I'm just going to go after this one. In Scorpion, you had specialization in legal and home services in these different areas. You still were vertically specialized, even though. You went for different areas. Law could a could a firm do the same? Maybe be a PI firm, and maybe you say, "Hey, I'm just going to do auto and premises, right?" And and maybe just attack those. Do, do you look at vertical specialization the same as as niching? Like, how do you choose between that? You're right. We were in um, attorneys, home services, franchise, medical, and you know, healthcare systems, which is a lot of verticals. However, we didn't get there sort of concurrently. It was actually sequentially. So the business was really built around the law practice. Once we had built up a great process, great client list, wonderful retention, great relationships with clients, then we began to look for the next vertical where we could take the best of what we were really good at doing and serve that different audience without having to sort of rebuild the the machine. We didn't want to start from scratch. For example, we were serving local service businesses. We weren't doing e-commerce, right? We didn't have any kind of systems or processes or software to help serve e-commerce businesses. So instead of going in that direction, we found the next, what we call it adjacent vertical to attorneys, which was plumbers and HVAC uh, businesses, primarily, but home services. And part of the, the the deciding factor for us in that in that situation was both are local service businesses, both will work within a specific service area, both will rely heavily uh, on search volume and traffic and cases from the internet. And there happened to be a lot of search spend, according to Google. We began to carve out resources to who were dedicated to legal to start working on this new vertical. And... That was very intentional because we didn't want to screw with the attorney business and the and 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 the the, the good thing we built there. Uh, but we also knew we had to learn the the, the new uh, vertical home services, and then you know again sort of rinse and repeat for these other verticals. But it was not concurrent; it was with incremental resources. So we hired new people to go after a new vertical. We didn't sort of force that you know force the people who are working with attorneys to just now have to you know work with home service businesses as well. One of the things, too, is just getting your message out, right, from a distribution perspective. And let, let's say you got, you got your positioning, and then how do you approach the the marketing channels and, and choosing those for distribution? One of the things that Scorpion's known for is outbound, they're tremendous gifts, but, you know, PI firms have those limitations from a, an outbound perspective. So how would you approach that from a firm's perspective? So let's assume that you're a personal injury attorney and you've identified a niche or a sub-niche that is particularly interesting. It's large enough. There's enough cases for you to focus your 
law firm or begin to focus your law firm and you have some kind of connection, you have, you have some kind of emotional connection, you care about the health of the, you know, this audience or the, you want to be part of that solution that's some kind of uh, draw to that. So assuming you have all of that and you're positioned in that regard, you know, we're the PI attorney for trucking cases, whatever that is for you. The next thing that I recommend to attorneys is to really start to invest in content and positioning yourself online as an expert in this area. And the reason why I say that is number one, the internet is democratized content. No longer need necessarily to get on the local news station or to pay a bunch of money and a publicist to get on you know, these different shows. You could be as effective over time by building up your brand online, your personal injury brand online through providing content. The way that content works is that you talk on a specific topic, you provide helpful content consistently over a long period of time. Uh, Chris, you do this extremely well with this podcast and other things you, you do. It's a very similar model where effectively you're building up, hey, this person knows what they're doing. They have a lot of experience. They, uh, they've got great case studies and they, you know, they provide a lot of really helpful content that I like to consume anyways. And so when I, as a consumer, have a specific need in this area, the chances of that, you know, this personal injury attorney, this example, being uh, recalled in the mind is much higher than if you just relied exclusively on you know, SEO. It's a feedback loop too, right? Doing the podcast you and, and interacting with these consumers and have, being forced to create content in a certain area. It actually helps you become that expert because <laughs> you, you, because you're creating, you're going more deep on a particular topic. And you know, we've had Joe Freed on trucking and he's speaking at these trucking associations and he's always on a panel talking about trucking, trucking, trucking. Well, it allows him to become that top 1% because he has to talk about different aspects and components of the trucking cases. I'll, I'll, I'll add to that. So you mentioned I'm writing a book. I also write an email, a daily email uh, newsletter. And what writing does is it helps me to figure out how to articulate the thoughts that I have in my head in a clear way. And it helps me to sharpen my thinking, helps me to communicate more clearly. Um, it's just a very powerful tool for, for that, for that, um, uh, the ability to communicate more effectively. And I know, uh, you know, attorneys are typically great writers. My dad is an attorney, uh, you know, an excellent writer and excellent with arguing and communicating in those respects. But when it comes to communicating to the consumer, it's a different skill set that does get better over time. <laughs> you know, what's interesting too, is I, I had a, I was talking to an attorney recently and they were talking about their content and I was talking about the Flesh Kincaid readability score and where they needed to be like at a ninth grade level, but their content was too advanced. Yes. And it like, yes, I understand that you want to show your expertise, but you also need your consumer to be able to understand and comprehend it. So, and you learn all these different nuances. One of the things I want to shift back to is, is the labor. You know, you've, you've got your messaging, you got your budget, you everything's firing all all cylinders, and you just need bodies, right? There, there's software capabilities for leverage. How did you approach forecasting for hiring? Talk to me about hiring for a lot of bodies, not just the occasional one a quarter. Sure. Well, as a company, we went from 100 employees to 1,000 employees in six years. And you you really have to be a different company to run a thousand person company versus a hundred person company. So I would say that I was not nearly as gray back you know at the beginning of the uh, 
<laughs> of the adventure there. Obviously, there was a lot of growing pains. We learned a lot along the way. We would obviously try and find ways to find to get talented folks who who were eager, who fit the um, who fit the sort of the cultural mold, mold. I would say. So there was a couple roles on my team where it, we needed to bring in interns. We didn't have the funding to do to bring someone on. Put the word out, and we got we got a handful of like I think like five interns, and we. Frankly, we we got, we put them to work. We I would say we grinded them a little bit just because there was a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of ground to cover, and not everyone made it. Not everyone stuck around. But what what ended up happening is the folks that uh, liked it and did the work and dug in and added a lot of value, they ended up getting great jobs. And some of them are still there in uh, you know middle management roles now, right? So I'm a big fan of creating opportunities for junior folks without a lot of experience, but who have a lot of who are very eager and and want to want to learn putting them in positions to really kind of, you know, win over time. Yeah, that that's that's excellent. I, I love the internship model, right? Because you get you get people that need the experience of the, that have the energy. You know, when you look at going from 100 to 1000 is obviously at the 100 mark, right? You already got the HR, you know, team or or maybe not. I've heard some some rare exceptions. And look, it pains me. Like that was a tough hire. And I know Jillian that's listening has been instrumental, but that was painful because it's like that non-revenue generating, like direct generating. But then it's like, oh, I need to go hire eight people. You know, who else is going to do it, right? Because then you take away from the revenue generating activities. So what did, how did kind of um, hiring that whole team, that admin side look like going from a hundred to a thousand? Yeah, I would say a big hire was hiring a an initial leader in that regard in the HR space. And that, again, is an interesting position because there needs to be a great alignment in the culture, specifically how you communicate to the employees, the rules, the do's, the don'ts, and so on and so forth. And doing that in the wrong way can really damage the company culture. And so that hire is ex is extremely key to find the, the, the right fit. I think the way that we approached it is... We took our time in really rolling out very comprehensive programs and you know rules and regulations about about how to how to hire, what to do, how to fire, and so on and so forth. Along the way, there was a lot of mistakes, but I think we learned through those mistakes versus trying to artificially, you know, bring in a bunch of I'm using the word rules, but it's basically like a lot of regulations that didn't fit, didn't feel right. And so, because this was a founder-led business. You know, Rustin moved, I would say, relatively slowly in the in that regard, in a way, so that we could really build something that matched our, our culture. You um, you don't make perfect hiring decisions all the time, or the people who are making hiring decisions, and so there's risk in in doing that. And so, but I think at, at Scorpion specifically, my my experience of it was that we were uh, willing to take on some of that risk in exchange for not having sort of a rigid culture around hiring and and training. COVID kind of changed the game from a technology perspective, from a remote working capacity. And it's my understanding that Scorpion has a big brick and mortar, has a big facility. You mentioned at the very beginning of our call that, of our interview, that, hey, you weren't looking forward to this commute. Do you think the Scorpion would have had the same ability to grow and the same success had they operated from a remote perspective? Because many firms are trying to make that decision. 
Scorpion, in, in the case of Scorpion, I don't believe that it would have grown as quickly because, frankly, there was a lot of late nights, overnight, you know, working sessions with the pizza and the beer. And there was that, it was definitely that crunch time in the early days to really get the business off the ground that you just can't do when you're hiring folks who you, you maybe met in person once. I find it very difficult to be able to produce that same result that that Scorpion did. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist or can exist today, but I think it just, that's one of the, the key aspects of what made Scorpion put it in a position to really grow in the way it did was, was the, the locality of it. You know, we, ha- we actually, I'll give you a quick example. We, we acquired a company out of New York and we flew out there a couple of times and to build up the culture and to bring in the, the, the team that we had, you know, worked for the company that we had hired. And they didn't have that same kind of all out type of culture that I was referencing. And as a result of that, you know, over time, a lot of those folks just, you know, they ended up finding other, other companies, other, other places to work because they were, uh, they were remote, number one. And number two, they, they you know, the, the remote piece, I'll go back, is they didn't feel connected. And we definitely didn't do a good enough job of that, but they, you know, they we would celebrate in Los Angeles, and we would also you know give them an opportunity to celebrate in New York. Well, they didn't really celebrate because that wasn't who they were, right? And so there was definitely a gap when it came to the location, but then also just the culture of acquiring a company, uh, bringing in a different culture. That takes a lot of work to merge the two cultures together in such a way that, that everyone feels um, included. Thank you for that. that. That makes a ton of sense. And and just the easy, easier to connect in person than it is. I mean, Slack and Zoom and all the things have improved, but there's still just that personal connection that you talked about reading body language. And, you know, sometimes you read, you read something in Slack and you're like, I think they meant this, but you're, but you don't really know, right? There's a different tone and emphasis on different words. Yeah. Yeah. You believe so deeply in the, the vertical specialization. You've kind of lived it. So do you think that it is like the path in this day and age is, is vertical specialization as opposed to being the generalist is, or can the generalist just, just with enough capital attack, everything like just what's your thoughts there? For the personal injury attorneys who want to really grow and be expansive and really make a big impact. I believe that the model that we took at Scorpion, which is you get really good at one niche and then you bring on another niche and you kind of go that that way, I think today is the best way to grow a law firm. There is just too much chaos <laughs> in talking to attorneys, too much chaos trying to do everything and trying to get there by being a generalist. Everything is changing more rapidly today. Innovation is increasing speed. And as a result of that, being able to be uh, effective as a generalist is becoming harder and harder. So you're better off, in my opinion, because that's only going to in- increase uh, velocity, that you're better off finding something, a, a niche, a sub niche, a group that you really care about and becoming the brand name in that in that niche, in your category, in your location. That's a far better uh, way to grow than otherwise. Couldn't agree more. And Corey, where can our audience go to connect with you and learn more? Sure. So I have, as I mentioned, a daily newsletter that is all about taking a niched approach to using the concept of deep specialization. Uh, You could sign up for that. It's five days a week, a one minute tip. You could sign up for that on my website, coreyquinn.com slash newsletter. I would love to see you on on the list. And I'm also active on LinkedIn. So you can also find me there. Thanks so much to Corey for sharing his wisdom today. Let's hit the takeaways. Time for the pinpoints. 
Grow, baby, grow. You're here each week listening to PIM because you want to grow. To see your firm scale, you need to budget accordingly. Now, budget allocation may not be sexy, but it is necessary. Invest heavily in marketing, test and refine your approach. Attorneys who want to grow aggressively will spend between 10 to 20% of their gross revenue on marketing, like sales and marketing. Uh, attorneys who want to sort of grow at an average rate, five to 10% a year, are going to spend between five and 10% of their annual revenue. If they, and if they're not that interested in growing, they'll spend less than 5%. Coach up your hires. Hire people you can train. Coach them up through your firm. This will keep overhead low and ensure that people will grow with the firm and have the soft skills you need and share the culture you want to maintain. Take time to build the needed structures and processes to hire, evaluate, retain, and fire. But you shouldn't do all this on your own. If you're serious about scaling, bring in help. Make one strong initial HR leadership hire is critical. I'm a big fan of creating opportunities for junior folks without a lot of experience who are very eager and want to learn putting them in positions to really kind of, you know, win over time. Be the master of one. Being a generalist can work when starting out, but if you want to increase case value and profits, get narrow. Thoroughly master one specific niche. Concentrate on perfecting your client targeting, intake processes, litigation systems, and delivery of exceptional service. Then add resources to expand into a second niche down the road. Once we had built up a great process, great client list, wonderful retention, great relationships with clients, then we began to look for the next vertical where we could take the best of what we were really good at doing and serve that different audience without having to sort of rebuild the, the machine. We didn't want to start from scratch. All right, y'all, that's it for today. But before you go, I want to extend a personal invitation to PimCon the official PIM conference, September 15th through 17th. I would love you to join me to learn how to conquer marketing, network with Titans, celebrate excellence, and take your firm from good to go. We've got early bird pricing for a limited time. Lock in your spot with the PI Elite at PIMCon.org. That's P-I-M-C-O-N dot O-R-G. Link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Personal Injury Mastermind with me, Chris Stryer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. See you next time.